All right. Good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? Fantastic. Well, hey, there was this lifelong Democrat. Yeah, here we go. There was this lifelong Democrat who found himself on his deathbed, not having too many days ahead of him. And the people in the hospital said, hey, do you have any last requests? And he said, yeah, I'd love to see my pastor. And so they sent for his pastor, and his pastor came there, and he said, you know, hey, I'm here. Is, you know, is there anything that you'd like to say? Is you know, any final words in your last moments? And he said, yeah, I want to become a Republican. And the pastor looked at him, and he said, like, why would you do that? You're a lifelong Democrat. You've been a Democrat your whole life. Why would you now become a Republican? And he said, better one of them die than one of us. That's horrible. Hey, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we tell bad jokes, so uh, welcome. Uh, I do want to let you know we're not a political church. We're really not. We've talked about this before. Let me scoot this over just a tad. Uh, We've talked about this before, and we want liberals. We want Democrats. We want Republicans. We want libertarians. We want independents. We even want Dallas Cowboy fans to come here. Okay, so, ouch. Dang. I thought this was a place of grace. Well, I guess not. We'll talk about that a little bit today. But we truly are. We're not a political church. But while we're on the subject, I really do want to talk to you, all kidding aside, I want to talk to you about Tuesday. Guys, I I don't need to tell you this. This is not going to catch you by surprise. What's going on in our country right now is it's sad. It's very unhealthy, and I'm sure you're watching like I am, this chasm being created that is separating two, you know, specifically two political parties. And it's sad as we watch this chasm continue to grow. And what I want to encourage us to do is be different. Jesus actually called us to be different. And so what I want us to do is actually not avoid the chasm. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to point to the chasm so that people see their need for Christ. Because without him, these are the kind of divisions that split us over politics. And that never should be the case. And I need to let you know this. Regardless of who is elected on Tuesday... Next Sunday, we are going to pray for our next president as a church. And I hope you're okay with that because that's the kind of church that we're going to be. We're going to be different, and we're going to start a different conversation than what we're noticing in our country. Well, politics actually leads me to my uh, next illustration, if you will. And uh, it has to do with these either-or propositions that are given to us in this life. Have you ever noticed this? We're given so many either-or propositions, meaning you can either be this or you can be this. So you can either be a Republican or you can be a Democrat. I know there's independents and libertarians in there, but oftentimes those are the two parties. You can either be a liberal or you can be a conservative. You can either love Coke or you love... All right, just real quick. Coke fans in the room? All right. And Pepsi fans in the room? Man, there's some passion for Pepsi in here, guys. We're going to start serving Pepsi, I guess, at church. You can either be for science or you can be for Scripture. But here's what I'm learning, because I look at both of these often. Science is now not necessarily contradicting Scripture. Science is starting to complement Scripture a lot more than what people are aware of. What about this? You either like sweet things or you like salty things. All right, let's... Let's have a moment of truth. We're in church. How many of you guys have been eating your kids' Halloween candy when they're not looking? You guys are awful. Awful. So after our kids went to after our kids went to bed last night, you should have seen Emily and I on the couch with both of their bags of candy. Like, where's the good stuff? Where's the good stuff? It's horrible. All right, how about this? You can either love coffee or you can be weird. Right? I mean, 
Last one, last one. You're either a Denver Broncos fan or you're a loser. That's what I was... All right, I, th- I think I'm starting to miss the point. We've got to get beyond this. Well, <laughs> the topic that we're actually going to discuss today together is a very, very important topic. And it's two topics. And what, ha- what has happened in the past is oftentimes these have become an either-or proposition where you can either be one or the other. But when Jesus spoke of these two topics, he actually spoke of them in a way where he said, I'm actually wanting you to embrace both. You should never create one camp or the other so you're, you, and, and choose one. I actually want you to embrace and pursue both of these. Guys, the subjects that we're going to discuss today are truth and grace. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. If you look back at church history, and people have written books about this, you'll notice that two things happen, and this is called the pendulum swing within church history. And what happens is sometimes uh, what you'll see in church history is the pendulum will swing over here to this area of truth. And the church embraces truth so much that it avoids grace. And so at some point in time, they realize, man, we're getting off base here. We're focused too much on truth, not enough on grace. And so the pendulum swings. And instead of embracing both, it goes to the other side. And we find ourselves just focusing on grace and then the church finally gets, becomes aware. It's like, hey, we're focusing too much on grace. And then we go through this cycle once again. Guys, our hope as a church is that we'll actually embrace and pursue both. I don't know if you know this, but the name Trace actually came from truth and grace. And so what our hope is here at Trace is that we will steady the pendulum. That we'll stop this swing back and forth. And if you're asking my opinion, I think as a culture right now, we're in an upswing towards grace. I don't know exactly where we're at in that upswing, but that's my personal opinion. And so today we're going to wrestle with these two topics together. But just to make sure we're defining them the same, defining them correctly, let me, let us, let's look at it together. We would define truth through John chapter 17, verse 17, that says, Your word is truth. And so we would say this book right here represents God's truth. Now, I'll tell you, there's truth that exists outside of this book. I'll give you a very generic example. The grass is green, and we know the grass is green because there's a color spectrum that shows us the grass is green. This book doesn't say the grass is green. But because that's true, God owns it. God owns all truth. And for our conversation today, this book is going to represent truth. Now, when it comes to grace, we would define it this way. It's the unmerited favor and forgiveness of God. So as we pursue this conversation together today, I want to make sure we're on the same page when it comes to these two subjects. So let's pick up in John chapter 1, verse 9 through 18. And so if you want to turn there, go ahead right now. I'll take a moment to talk to some of you when it comes to the Bible. If you're in here right now and you don't have a Bible, uh, we want you to bring it every week. We actually have free Bibles that we'll give you if you want to go to guest services after, the, after we're done today. We'll give you a Bible. We want you to get into God's Word. Also, for those of you that are a little more tech-savvy, I would highly encourage you to look up the app YouVersion. Uh, this is probably 90% of where my Bible reading happens now. Uh, YouVersion is, again, opinion, but it's, if you ask me, the best Bible app out there. And so let's pick up in John chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 9. Here's what he says. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, 
To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word, this would also be Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full, everybody say full, full of grace and truth. John te testified, this is John the Baptist, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, everybody say fullness. We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now there is so much goodness in that passage that we could digest together, but for our conversation today, I want us to focus on the word fullness when it comes to the subjects of truth and grace. I've gotten the opportunity to travel around this nation talking to people, and I have to go do a lot of fundraising. When you plan a new church, you go do a lot of fundraising because it takes money to get something like this started. And so you go and you present to other churches that are willing to partner with you. And so I've gotten to cast the vision of Trace and the fact that it means truth and grace to many, many, many people. And there was a common response that kept coming up as I, as I had these conversations. And a lot of pastors and people um, in general, general would respond with something like this after I talked to him about truth and grace. They would say, you're right, Aaron, we need to have a balance of truth and grace. And every time I heard that word balance, I didn't like it, but I didn't know why I didn't like it, and I never knew how to describe why I didn't like it until God showed me a great illustration, which is what I want to show you today. Here's why our pursuit of truth and grace can't be simply balance. If we're pursuing nothing more than balance, and of course we got a T and a G here, that stand for truth and grace, just, just in case, just in case. If we're representing nothing more than balance, then we could be representing low amounts of each of these in our life. So I can be balanced with truth and grace, but just representing low amounts of each. And here's what I've learned, if this is true for your life. If we're only representing balance and low amounts of each, it's very possible that you're becoming passive in your faith. It's possible that if this represents your faith, if this represents your life, you may find yourself being agreeable with things that you don't agree with. You may find yourself not wanting to bring up anything controversial at fear that you may offend someone else. And so when we live in a place of balance, representing low amounts of both truth and grace, we have a very high chance of making a compromise in our faith. And so if you find yourself here today, I want you to join with us in this conversation as we pursue the fullness of both. Now, another important part of this conversation is actually being able to self-assess where you're at because here's another thing that I've learned. You're either a trace, trace, or trace. You're either a grace person or a truth person. Every single one of us leans in one direction more than the other, and there's a good chance that a lot of you already know which direction you lean in. So let's give me some crowd participation here. How many of you guys know that you're a, you're a truth person? Truth people? Okay. 
quite a few of you. How many of you guys know you're a grace person? Raise your hand. That's actually a really good balance as a church. Now, if you don't know and you're like, man, I'm not sure where I fall, if I'm a truth person or a grace person, maybe you think through some scenarios as if somebody did something really, really wrong. And the Bible's very clear that what they did was wrong. And think to yourself, would you approach that person saying, hey, you need to know what the Bible says about this, or would you approach that person with forgiveness first? And you'll notice if you approach people with forgiveness and this idea of unmerited favor, then you're probably a grace person. Whereas if you want to say, man, you, I need you to know what God's word says about this, then you're probably more of a truth person. So the self-assessment is very important. Now, once we've self-assessed where we're at, Another important step is, how did I get here? Why am I a truth person? Why are some of you truth people? Why others are grace people? How did I get here? And what I found is oftentimes it's based on your experiences in life. And interesting enough, sometimes you'll find yourself in the truth camp, and other times you'll find yourself in the grace camp, depending on the experiences that have been happening in your life and in your faith. And this is where I think some good psychoanalysis can, can help us. Because all of us want to pursue the fullness of both. And so once we realize, hey, I'm a grace person, I know I'm a grace person, but if, the, if, if God's call for us is to pursue the fullness of both, then I need to be growing in the area that I'm weaker in. And I think once you realize why you're a grace person or why you're a truth person, you'll be able to understand maybe steps to put in place to grow in the area, in the area that you're weaker in. Because, friends, all of us need to be pursuing both, but I think a good place to start is to grow in the area that you're weaker in. Now, let me give you a real-life example and story of how our experiences can play a big part of why we land in this camp or this camp. A friend of mine, we're going to call him Mike. It's not his name, but we're going to call him Mike. He grew up in a family that had some faith represented. And Mike would tell you that he... He wasn't ever really interested in it, but there were people in his family that were, and so he heard about it, but never really invested much time into it himself. And later on in life, Mike uh, started to feel same-sex attraction, and so Mike identified as a gay man. And once some of his family members heard about this, he felt a lot of judgment and condemnation sent in his direction through the lens of God's truth. And Mike started to think to himself, probably subconsciously, it's like, man, if, if that's what this book does, if this book makes me feel the way that I'm feeling, I'm not sure I want anything to do with it. And so if there was any truth in Mike's life at that point in time, he said, I'm not sure I'm interested in it. And he emptied it. And he said, maybe I'll just be about this, because this doesn't make me feel bad. Later on in Mike's life, he was diagnosed with one of the worst forms of meningitis that you can possibly have. This is where I meet Mike, because I didn't know him before this. One of Mike's family members went to the church where I was a pastor, and they asked me, he said, Aaron, would you be willing to come up and pray over Mike? He's in a coma. He's not expected to live. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And so I went up, and I, and I prayed for Mike. And I saw pictures of him, and what he looked like in the coma didn't even look like himself. Chances were not good at all that he was going to survive. So I prayed for the only thing that I knew to pray for. I prayed for a, a miracle. And then I left. Well, to everybody's surprise, Mike actually made it through the coma and came out of it two weeks later. But in the process of this horrible meningitis, 
he lost both of his feet and all of his fingers. And so he woke up and he came out of this coma and his same family members came back to me and said, man, Mike, Mike made it. Will you come up and will you talk with him? Will you pray with him again? And I said, sure. And then they told me, they said, hey, just so you know, Mike identifies as a gay man. I said, okay. And they said, you also should know this. Some of the family members in our church, or I'm sorry, some of the family members that will be at the hospital have told Mike that the reason this is happening to him is because God's giving him what he deserves. And so as you can imagine, at that point in Mike's life, not only is he not worried about this, but he says, that's Christianity. I don't want anything to do with it. I remember, remember sitting down and just talking to Mike about God's love because he had a completely different picture of who God really was because of how that was being represented to him. It reminds me of something that Pat Robertson said when Hurricane Katrina came through. He said, Hurricane Katrina is God's way of cleaning, cleaning up the moral filth in New Orleans. In other words, they're getting what they deserve. Anybody else in here thankful that God doesn't give us what we deserve? On my best day, I still deserve hell. But God gives me heaven because of my willingness to put my faith in his son, Jesus. And if I had the chance to talk to guys like Pat, I'd say... Pat, by moral filth, are you talking about the people that Jesus died for? Are you talking about the people that he still desires to redeem? Pat, by moral filth, are you talking about the kids that never got the hope to hear of the gospel? Is that who you're talking about, Pat? And I try to say that as nice as I could. <laughs> Guys, it's so unfortunate to hear things like this. And here's what's even scarier is that sometimes, and I'm surprised... I shouldn't be, but how many people hear stuff like this and they say, man, I'm glad somebody finally said it. That's God's truth. We need more of that. We need more people actually saying those kind of things. And they fill up their truth cup, but God's up there saying, I don't want anything to do with that kind of truth. This is actually what it means in the Ten Commandments where it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. What that actually means is, don't say something God has, is approving when he's saying, I don't want anything to do with that. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. And maybe you've seen it. I know you probably have if you're on any social medias where people write this kind of stuff on social media. And your friends and my friends, people that we work with, our family members, they get on there and they read that kind of stuff. And I watch it, literally watch it happen because I see the comments and they say, man, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. They're starting to see how these experiences start to shape where we're at at any given point of our life. Guys, we have to be careful because all of these experiences, when we see and we experience these things, they give us emotions, and these emotions ultimately affect the imbalances that are represented in these two cups. Let me give you a personal example. When I was in college, Emily and I were just dating at, at the time, and at that point in my life, I would say that I was pursuing Jesus and I, I wasn't full of truth and grace, but I would say I was fairly balanced and had a decent amount of each in my life. And we were going to a church that we had been 
uh, going to for a while. And one day the pastor got off on this tangent and he said, the Dixie chicks need to be buried face down because that's where they're going. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm never coming back to this place. But Emily was like, amen, brother, you preach it. That's what... No, she didn't do that. I'm just... <laughs> I love you, baby. <laughs> so, uh, no, both of us were, of course, in, in agreement where it's like, man, uh, we're never coming back to this place. And to an immature Christian at the time, I thought, man, this is a pastor. This is somebody that's supposed to be representing truth. And so if that's what truth is, I'm not going to back out on my faith or Jesus because of my, my roots go pretty deep there. But if that's truth, man, I'm just going to fill up my grace cup because I want to be more forgiving than that. But what happens, guys, don't miss it. These imbalances are not God's leading in either one of these directions. It's bad experiences that cause us to fill up one cup more than the other when God's always telling us, no, the pursuit is the fullness of both all the time. Fullness has to always be our target. It must always be our target. Now, let me give you a different example. Sometimes I find myself talking to Christian men, Christian men, and I'm surprised when I hear things about pornography where it's attempting to be justified. And I've had men, Christian men, tell me, hey, my wife and I actually think that this is a good thing for our marriage. And my guess is, because I've done this long enough now, that the husband probably bullied the wife into believing that it was something good for both of them. And other times I've heard guys that said, you know what? I'm not getting any at home. And since that's not happening, it's better for me to look at porn than for me to go out and cheat on my wife. And when I hear things like that, guys, I'm just going to be transparent here, okay? I'm being transparent. Everything in me wants to take my grace and not extend it and fill up my truth because I cannot believe the ignorance, honestly, that I'm hearing. And so at the expense of emptying my grace, I fill up my cup of truth. But once again, I want you to make sure you're seeing this. That should never happen. And I have to be so careful with that. But again, being transparent with you as your pastor, sometimes I don't have any grace for people. That's why I need Jesus to help me because at that moment, I just want, to, I want them to understand how far off base they are and I want them to understand truth. Now let me take a time out. I need to do this. And I want to talk about pornography just for a second. Okay, let me get off on a tangent. Guys, there is nothing, nothing redeemable about pornography. And I want to remind you that when you're looking at those young ladies, you're looking at someone's daughter. And even if their earthly father does not care, which my guess is the majority of them do, they have a heavenly father that cares deeply. And my guess is up there saying, what are you doing with my daughter? Because let me remind you, let me take this a step further, and I'm going to try to keep this PG because I know there's some kids in here. When you do what you do in your mind with those young ladies and the physical actions that you go through, they didn't give you permission to do that. And you're raping them in your mind. Now I'm going to kind of shelf this for now, but I want to let you know this subject is very, very important to us. And Corey and I are working on a project right now with a filmmaker and he's already completed the documentary, and it's really, really well done. 
and we're going to put a lot of money and investment behind this project, and I honestly don't know if we can even afford it because we want to we rent a facility that will seat like a 1,000 people downtown. And so if there's anybody in here that is passionate about this, that wants to partner with us both financially and or just come and be a part of this project, let me know because we are going to, we're probably going to promote this and market this citywide for people to come and hear about this. And it takes more of a psychological approach to what porn does than it does a spiritual approach. So, all right, time in. Just wanted you to know that. Guys, we have to always make sure that we are pursuing the fullness of truth and grace and not trying to balance it. Because as we move forward, at any given season in our life, we're going to have different experiences. And those experiences are going to lead to emotions. And those emotions are going to make us want to land in one of these camps more than the other. And so we can't be subjected to our emotions or our experiences or even whatever cultural upswing is happening in that season of time. We always have to be pursuing the fullness of truth and grace. And what happens when we don't pursue the fullness and we're okay with balance is sometimes God's truth gets hijacked. And when his truth gets hijacked, it's often used as a weapon to hurt people. And verses are taken out of context. And they're used to condemn people and judge people. I know you've talked to them. I have. But the same is true on the opposite side. If we don't pursue fullness, then God's grace is hijacked. And when it's hijacked, it's taken out of its original context, which is this free gift that God has given you through what Jesus Christ accomplished for you on the cross. And it's taken out of this free context, and it's made into something cheap. Let me show you what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says on this particular subject of cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Guys, we're not interested in cheap, in cheap grace because what Jesus did for us on the cross cost him everything. And if it cost him everything, shouldn't it cost us something? And if nothing else, shouldn't it cost us the pursuit of, of the fullness of both of these and not just deciding I'm okay being in one camp or the other? That's the way I personally feel. I hope you feel this way too. Because what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross, it cost him everything. It wasn't cheap. And we make it cheap when we decide, you know what, I'm already forgiven, so I'll just keep on sinning. I'm already forgiven, so I'm not going to make my sin a big deal. I'm already forgiven, so I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. Let me show you something that the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Romans. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we're left if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in a, our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Friends, the cross was not cheap. It cost him everything. And therefore, it should cost us something. 
if nothing else, the pursuit of the fullness of both of these. What happens when we pursue the fullness of both? And let me remind you, we're never going to be Jesus. So we actually will never receive the fullness of both until we get to heaven. But what happens when we pursue the fullness of both? Hope. Hope happens. In some of the most difficult situations and difficult conversations. I remember when I got to the hospital, sit down and talk to my buddy Mike. And I sat down and his family members were in the room. And again, Mike at that point wouldn't even say he had any faith. At that point in time, he said, you know what? <laughs> I've already experienced your God. And I've had many conversations now with Mike. But I remember that specific one in the hospital waiting room. And I sat down and started to talk to him about God's love. And he literally just point blank asked me, he said, well, Aaron, is homosexuality a sin? And at that point, what happens with a lot of Christians is we make a compromise because we don't want to speak up. And I said, yeah, it is a sin. And I said, but I'm going to tell you something that a lot of other Christians won't tell you, Mike. There's nothing that you'll ever do that will make God love you any less. Ever. And so to my best of my ability, I was trying to represent both of these. Chris still doesn't have me. He said I could say Chris. That's his name. I just just bombed that. Um, I actually talked to Chris before I gave this message. And I said, are you okay if I share the stories of how our relationship has evolved? And he said, absolutely, I'm honored that you would. And he still doesn't believe, guys. But he would call a pastor one of his good friends. And he also has a pastor that when he asks the hard questions represents truth but I often lead with grace. When we go back and we look at Jesus' life, doesn't he do that? I think I said those wrong, didn't I? Where's the T and the G at? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Guys, this subject is so important. And if you ask me, it's one of the most divisive subjects in the church because we make compromise because we're okay with being balanced at low levels of each. But my friendship with Chris can show you and give testimony that we can have hard conversations where we represent and lead with grace and back it up with truth. You know, there's a place in the Bible where an adulterous woman was actually pulled out of her bed in the act of committing adultery, thrown out on the city street, and a bunch of religious people picked up stones ready to kill her. Jesus shows up, comes up, and he draws a line. He, without sin, casts the first stone. You know the story. They drop the stones, and he looks at her, and he says, Who's here to condemn you? Neither am I. Now go and sin no more. He gave her grace, and he backed, her up, backed it up with truth. Don't miss this, and I'm closing on this. Friends, what did he offer first? Did he say he, she needed to go get her life cleaned up first? That she had to go figure out and get her sins right and make, you know, repent where she had done all these things wrong? No, he said, who's here to condemn you? Neither am I. But now go and sin no more. Friends, our approach of these two subjects is critical 
to deal with hard conversations, to make sure that we are extending hope in some of the hardest times of our culture as we're experiencing this upswing towards grace. And I think Jesus wants to look at us. I really do. And I think he wants to say something like this to us. In your emptiness, allow my fullness to cover you, not just the fullness of truth and grace, but the fullness of my power, my love, my kingdom, my creation, my presence, my word, and my very spirit, and allow it to fill you to the point of overflowing. I don't know where you find yourself in here this morning. I don't know if you would say you're imbalanced. I don't know if you would say that you're altogether empty. I have no idea, but I know that Jesus is the source of living water, and he's the one who said, I came to give you life, and life in its absolute fullness. And so if at any time any Christian has ever represented these two areas wrong in your life, I want to encourage us all to go back to the source. Because he offers us living water. And he never runs out. Let me pray for us. Father, as we embrace these two subjects, God, I pray that you help us to see where we're at. Help us to identify where our imbalances are. Help us to understand how our personal experiences in our life have gotten us off track. And how we got to be careful to not let our emotions get us messed up when it comes to these two areas. Father, I pray that under our pursuit of the fullness of both of these, that you would help us. That you would encourage us. That you would remove past pains of when people spoke with God's truth in mind, but they were completely misrepresenting you. God, I pray that you help us to see it where your grace is given at times, but out of context without being backed up with truth. God, we have to pursue both if we want to represent your your perfect love. So God, would you partner with us, help us. I pray this in Christ's name.